some application for us. You need to understand that in the life of Jesus, again, as we're nearing the end of his earthly ministry, one of the things that Jesus has done is he's tried to introduce to the idea of the disciples this idea that he's going to leave, he's going to go away. And uh, you need to know that that's not what they had planned. The disciples had a, a dream or a vision that Jesus was going to be the next king. They thought that he would be the one to overthrow Rome. So they're looking at it kind of from this perspective of we're on the winning side and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be with Jesus when he rules and reigns here. And in their minds, they saw him as king or ruler over Israel at the time. And freeing them from Roman oppression, oppression and, and the Greek culture and influence. And so when Jesus starts to get very, very adamant with them about the idea that he's leaving, they get really upset because this wasn't their dream. This wasn't what they had in mind. And so their dream, their world, their plans were being kind of shattered as Jesus starts talking about the idea of going away. And so we start in um, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and uh, here's what he says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Guys, don't be over-anxious about this thing. Don't let this thing get you all bent out of shape. You believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, now Jesus starts, and in this passage, he's going to link himself to God. And, and listen, those were, those were words that were blasphemous to a Jew. And so when Jesus starts equating himself with God as explicitly as he does in this passage, let me tell you something, there are people who are taking notice. And so notice what he goes. He says, my father's house has many rooms. Um, the King James says mansions. Uh, if it were not so, I would have told you. Um, let's step back into the, the ancient world at that time. Uh, what would happen is, uh, so I'm going to use my family as an example. So what would happen is, I, I have two boys, so uh, I, I ha we have our house, okay? And so when Jimmy proposed to Aaron, and Aaron said yes, then what would have happened was Jimmy would have spent about a year building onto our house, and we would have a Jimmy and Aaron wing, is what we would do, okay? And then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, believe me, I'm not thrilled about it either. I'm glad we're not in the Old Testament. I, I, I love having you guys close. Four miles is just about right. Um, so, and then when Josh proposed to Alex, Alex said yes, then Josh would have started building a Josh and Alex wing, okay? And that's the way it works. So when, it, when they use this idea that there's many, many mansions or many, many rooms, that's the idea. It's like... As a family, your, as your family grew, your, your, your house deal just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it would kind of be like a whole family complex kind of thing. And so Jesus is using that kind of idea here. And he says, look, uh, in my father's house, is, there's many rooms. There's, there's plenty of rooms for people who want to join our family, is what he's saying. If that weren't so, I would have told you. Um, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. So just like they would have spent a year getting ready, Jesus says, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to get things all ready for you to come and join me, is what he's saying. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me. Um, and the whole process, the way it actually would have worked in, in the first century, is after Jimmy finished his house, JT finished his section, his little wing, 
Aaron would have been waiting wherever she was living, and he would have gone down and gotten her and brought her back to live there. And Josh would have done the same thing with Alex. And, so, and then they would have lived there. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place and take you with me so that you may also be where I am. Now again, him leaving is not part of their plan. So consequently, they got a lot of questions. And notice what they said. Uh, Jesus says, uh, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, he's talking in here about heaven. He's talking in here about my father's house. If you go to the Gospel of John from chapters 11 to 16, he's mentioned it almost 50 times. He's talked about this idea of heaven, his father's house, that kind of place. And what's interesting is, by the way, we don't get a lot of description from Jesus about heaven other than the fact that he's there. That's what makes heaven heaven is that he's there. Okay, um, that it's home. I, I think it was, um, uh, who was it that said it? Okay, I got to look it up now. Um, I like, because I love, I love what he said about uh, Frost. Uh, Frost said this, home is a place where when you arrive, they have to take you in. I love that as a definition of home. It's a place where when you arrive, they have to take you in, okay? And, and, and so the idea is that He's making a place so that when they arrive, they, they get to come in. Um, and he says, you know the place, you know the way to the place. And then notice what happened. Thomas, who I love Thomas, he's such a candid disciple. You know, he, he says what everybody else is thinking. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And there's, Lord, uh, Google it for us. Tell us how to get there. Hey, we got to know. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you know him and you've seen me. He links himself to God. Um, we, we call this, you know, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying, look, You've seen me, you've seen the Father. You believe in the Father, you believe in me. We're, we're the same. We're one and the same. These are the kinds of things that get you executed, okay, in this world. But notice what he says, and, 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 and this is the significance of it, and this is where we want to spend our time talking about this morning. I am the, the way. I am the truth. I am the life, Okay. So let's, let's dive into this just a little bit and try to understand what Jesus is saying when he says this. Um, I am the way. You need to remember, you need to know that in the first century, it was a polytheistic world. In other words, there was a whole series of many gods that everybody worshipped. Most people worshipped a number of gods. Um, in the Greek world at the time, there was what they called the Olympiad of the God, the Olympian of the Gods, which were, uh, depending on how you read it, somewhere between 12 and 14 different gods and goddesses. Okay? So here's kind of the main 12, and I'm going to do a... There's more to them than what I'm going to say, but I'm just going to give you a quite quick synopsis so you can understand a little bit about this. Um, Apollo was the god of art and music. Um, Eris was the god of war. Uh, Dionysus was the god of the vine or, or wine. Um, Hades was the god of wealth. Um, 
Hephaestus was known as the ugly god. He was the god of fire. Uh, Hermes was the god of trade, travel, sports, or the underworld. Um, Poseidon, Poseidon was the god of uh, protector of the waters. Zeus was the god of the sky. Um, Aphrodite was the goddess of fertility. Uh, Artemis, the goddess of wildlife. Um, Athena, the goddess of wisdom and war. Uh, Demeter, the goddess of harvest. So here's how it plays out. In most places, there are temples to all of these gods in the city. Every once in a while, a city would kind of take one god as their home god, and that would be known as the place for everybody to go to kind of visit them. So we've kind of come off of a tough harvest, okay, between uh, the rain and the, and the weather and a, a late harvest and everything else. Um, let, let me use that as an example. So if we were in the first century and we were going through the tough harvest, here's what you would have probably done if you were a typical person back then. Um, first of all, you would have gone to the, the temple of Demeter and you would have made an offering to the goddess of the harvest. And you would have said, please help us. We're, having a, we're struggling with our harvest right now. Please help us. And I am giving you this to, to try to appease you so that our harvest will be good. And then you would leave there and you would probably head over to Zeus's temple and you would make an offering there because he's the god of the sky. And you say, now Zeus, listen, it, it, we don't need snow. Snow makes harvest harder. We don't need more water, okay? Um, so Zeus, we're asking you to keep the skies clear for us so that we can have a good harvest. Then you would have left Zeus's temple and you would have made your way over to Hades' temple and you would have said, now Hades, look, because it's been such a tough thing, you're the god of wealth. I need my crops to outperform everybody else's because I need more money. And you would have tried to appease that god. And there was a debate about whose god was always more powerful. So you wanted to try to worship the god who controlled some of the other gods. That was the mindset of the culture. And so Jesus comes into the picture. And Jesus, in talking to his disciples, says, I am the only way to God. You want to please God? I'm it. In fact, this became so prevalent in first century that when people started following the teachings of Jesus and putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, and historically they were not, they, Acts tells us they were called Christians first at Antioch. That was a term of joking, of ridicule. But really, historically, they were called, the earliest references that we have was they were called people of the way. In other words, it would be like this. Um, I, I'm with all my farmer buddies, and I'm saying, hey, look, you know, let's go over to Demetrius Temple, and then we're going to head over to Zeus, and we're going to head over to Hades. And, and you know, you're like, why don't you take care of this, and, and, and I'll be the spokesperson here, and then you can go there, and we can, uh, let's all go together. And then, hey, let's go ask Joe to come with us. And they're like, whoa, 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 Joe won't go. Joe's one of those people of the way. He thinks there's only one God. He thinks there's only one way to God, and that's through this guy called Jesus. He's a person of the way. He won't be a part of any of this because he's a follower of the way. That was first century. And it was such a revolutionary idea that 
they actually started identifying these people because of this statement. He's a follower of only Jesus. The only way. This was revolutionary. When Jesus looks at him and says, I am the way. He also states, I am the truth. Now, truth is a fascinating concept in the Gospel of John. Um, you see it mentioned a lot in the Gospel of John, this idea of truth. If you're in the Greek world at this time, you've heard the names Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. What was it all about? What is truth? What is wisdom? What is all? This was a whole concept among this culture. And so Jesus comes in and says, you want to know what truth is? I am truth. In fact, John, in John chapter 1, when he talks about Jesus, one of the things that he acknowledges about Jesus is that he was full of grace and truth. One of the things that was unique about him is he was always about being that which was being true. And in this culture, the idea of truth was the big, big picture everything. It was truth about the whole concept of everything. And it was something that people sought, something that people desired. Something the Greeks took great pride in their wisdom. And Jesus says, you want to know what truth is? Truth is me. And then he says, I'm the life. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we spent a lot of time on this last week. It's, not, it, it, it's this idea of life abundantly, full, complete. Um, it's it, it, life with purpose, life with meaning. Life that, and, and a life that's here and yet in a life to come. Uh, and so it's this eternal life idea that exists even now in the fact that, that I can have a purposeful, meaningful way to live through everything that comes in my life now. So um, that's the statement. And notice what he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's talk about some things that, that kind of um, help us and, and, and that we can kind of work through on our own this week. Um, Here's the first thing. Uh, it's a little bit outside of this, but it, it prefaces this, this passage, and I think it's important. The disciples had in their mind a way that everything should be. The disciples had wrapped up in their head this idea that um, Jesus was, was going to have to be with them. The concept of Jesus leaving them was foreign. The concept of Jesus having to walk away from them was something that they just, you know, I mean, in essence, this shattered their world. And what Jesus does is he pulls them aside and he says, look, guys, listen, 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 listen. It's going to be okay. It's not going to work the way you think it's going to work, but it's going to be okay, guys. Guys, you don't have to worry about this because... I've got a plan, and it's all going to be okay. And that is so important for us to understand, is that as Jesus deals with this idea, with this concept, um, he looks at him and says, you know what, guys, I, I know you're hurting. I know you don't understand this. I know you don't understand the reason that I have to leave. But guys, it, it's going to be okay. Most of us have been to a point in our lives where we had a dream, a plan, a th way that we sh thought it should all have worked out. And it didn't. 
And we have a lot of questions, just like the disciples. Here's my, here's my thing to you today. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You see, we tend to look at things in this narrow little view. We tend to see things from our perspective in our world. So let me play a game with you this morning with the disciples. What were the disciples really want? They wanted Jesus to be with them, right? But here's a question. When Jesus was on the earth with them, was Jesus always with them? Mm, He's with them a lot, but not always. There are times that he left them to go to the mountain. There are times that they're in a boat and he's out walking on the water. There are times that he's with them, but he's not with them. But if Jesus goes to the cross and leaves them and comes out of a tomb and then spends 40 days with them and then leaves them again and then he sends the Holy Spirit who is now going to be with them when? Forever. Now the Holy Spirit's going to be with them everywhere they go. Constantly. But you see, they didn't see that as part of the plan. All they saw was, we want him here now, and now he's gone. And they couldn't see that big picture. But Jesus knew, in order for that to really happen, this has got to happen. And you don't know what God is doing when when you have it planned out your way, and God has it planned out another way. I mean, if you know our story, the fact that I'm here should tell you, first of all, that God has an incredible sense of humor, right? Um... This wasn't my plan. Little did I know this is exactly what my heart desired. And when God started doing things in our lives and sending us different places and putting us in different circumstances, and the circumstances sometimes to get there were not all that pleasant. And I was wondering, what in the world are you doing, God? I'm fortunate enough, and sometimes you get through this, sometimes you don't. I'm fortunate enough that in my life, I can go back and connect some of the dots. And I look back and say, God, you had such a better plan than I ever imagined. But it required me to just trust him and realize that it was going to be okay. It was going to be okay. A couple other principles here. I am the way. Um, this is tough in 2019. You know why? We're an inclusive world. We're in a world that says you can believe whatever you want to believe. We're in a world that says there are many paths to God. We're in a world that says as long as you're sincere, you'll be okay. We're in a world that says it's all about the hoops. Jump through this hoop. Do this. Go through this ritual. Go through this. Join this religion. Do these kind of things and you'll be good. You'll you'll be with God. That's not what Jesus said. Um, There's a reason in rock culture music. There's a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell. Okay? Because Jesus said, my way is narrow. Not going to be a lot of people that want to go down that road. You know why? Why? Because my road says, I am the only way. You go, well, that's pretty exclusive. Yes, it is. 
Well, are you saying everybody else is wrong? Well, Jesus said it, so yeah, I'm saying it. You say, well, that's pretty arrogant. No, it's not. It's what Jesus said. You know, you want to call him arrogant? Good luck with that. He stood before a group of people and said, any other way won't get you there. It is only me. Only me. Not your religious stuff. Only me. And you go, well, well, what are you saying? Are you saying that, that you have like the golden weight? No, I'm saying that's what Jesus said. I am the way. Zeus, Apollo, Demetrius, Dionysus, all of them, forget it. They're not going to do anything for you. I am the only way to God. The high priest, the temple, all that stuff that you're going through, I am the only way to God. Here's the crazy thing about this. This exclusive message is open to anybody who wants it. Anybody who will say yes, Jesus says you're in. The, 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 The exclusive message of Christianity is inclusive in that it's open to anyone in the world. But it's exclusive in the idea that if you think you can get to heaven in any other way than Jesus Christ, you will find yourself on the short end of the stick. Because Jesus said, I am the only way. He also said, I'm truth. Um, Again, really against our culture. Um, For the last couple of generations, we brought up a whole group of people who believe that you can believe whatever you want to believe, that truth is not absolute. Here's the crazy thing about it. Okay? I'm going to lose some of you here, but that's okay. Some of you will catch this. People look at you and say, you cannot say there's, there's no absolute truth. Now, wait a minute. You just made an absolute statement that I can't have absolute truth. How insane is that as far as the world of logic goes? You see... Every one of us has a decision to make. You have to decide whether or not truth is going to be found in you or outside of you. You have to decide whether or not you're going to decide what's truth and what's morality or something outside of you is going to decide what's truth and morality. If you take it within yourself, you you ought to really sit down with a philosopher and understand the implications of what you're saying. If you say, I'm the one who gets to decide what is ultimate truth, we have a whole history of people who believe that. Um, Some good and some bad. But you see, when you start saying, I'm the one, then you become the sole author of everything. Look, I, you know, I can't say this with my family because I tell my family I know everything. But I don't know everything, okay? I don't know everything. And for me to say, I have all knowledge to be able to say, I know what's true and I know what's not, is insane. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, see? Yeah. Welcome to my world. Um, but, but here's the idea. Listen, here's the idea. For me, I had to decide, what, am I, what, what is going to decide what's right or wrong for me? Am I going to be the one to decide that? Am I going to let culture decide that? Or am I going to let something outside of me decide that for me? 
It's the teaching of the Word of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ. So if I want to know how I should handle my money, I go and I say, what did Jesus Christ teach? What does the Bible teach? Not what do I want to do, not what does culture tell me to do. That's what I want to know. If I, decide, if I want to know how I raise my family, what do I do? I go to the teachings of Christ and the Word of God and say, what does the Bible say about raising my family? What does the Bible say about what did Jesus Christ teach about family? If I want to know how to conduct my business, that's where I go. If I want to know how I solve a problem with my neighbor, that's where I go. If I want to know what I should do, I go outside of myself to what I believe is an authority that never changes, that is clear, and that is the best possible advice you could ever get on how to live life. And we have a whole group of people who say, you know what? No, no, no. You let culture decide that. Well, I'll tell you where that's going to end up, and it ain't going to be pretty. Because you know how it is. Culture just goes with the whim. Listen to me. Those of you who are, you know, been brought up with this idea that there are no absolutes, you're in trouble. Because philosophically, you have no, nothing to hang anything on. Um, and that will get you in trouble when you start just listening to culture or listening to whatever the sum of knowledge that you have in some area. And so Jesus looks at him and says, you want to know what truth is? I'm truth. You want to know how to live your life? I'm truth. It's me. You follow me. Um, any other thing? And again, what do we know about Satan? Satan is, the, is a deceiver and the father of lies. So truth becomes this really important issue. The last thing is he talks about life, and I think that's twofold. Um, first of all, I think it's about life here. Uh, we talked about this last week, and, and we talked about this when we talked about the Good Shepherd. It's not just living life here, but it's living life here purposefully and with meaning and with, with difference and with substance. I'm a firm believer that, look, for whatever reason, God put us in America. And God has given us so much. And I'm a firm believer in the idea that, you know what? God has created this stuff for me to enjoy as well as to serve and minister to other people. So I believe when you come to the end of a day, it should have been a full, well-lived day. That you should have gotten, that you should have been able to enjoy and participate in this incredible thing called creation, this incredible thing called life here. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. I believe that's what you see with Jesus and the life of Jesus. He ministers to people. He helps people. But he also is immersed in this world. You know, it's interesting. We, we know very little of Jesus for the, like the first 30 years. And yet he was a carpenter, probably a stonemason, working in a shop with Joseph. What an incredible concept. What would it have been like to do business with Jesus? That's how it would be like to do business with you if you're in business, you know, because that's what he did. In fact, when he starts teaching, they look at him and go, wait, 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 wait. aren't you Joseph's son? You know, you're the carpenter guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. But he's much more than that. So I believe that it's about life here. But I also believe, and this is very important, and don't miss this in this passage, it's about life to come. One of the things that he talks about in the story is his father's 
home. Have you ever thought about that concept? I mean, we, my wife and I, and by the way, we realize how fortunate we are in that we have both of our children here and close. And you need to know, I do not take that for granted. I was with, I was with dear friends last night, and we were talking about their kids, and their kids are spread out all over, and they rarely get to see them and their grandkids and all that. And, and I get that. That's the world I was brought up in. That's the world I always thought I would have with my kids. But, but we are fortunate enough that God has them close to us. So we get to, usually every so often, we try to do it on Sunday afternoons, we get together as a family and eat. And so this today, we're all going to get together and we're going to eat. So let me tell you a little bit about what the home thing's going to be, okay? There's going to be a lot of safety and security there. There'll be a lot of comfort there because I'm going to get out of this monkey suit and I'm going to go in and I'm going to put on my, my fleece sweatpants and I'm going to go get my, my, my superhero T-shirts that I have. And I'm going to get my house slippers that I should have thrown out like a year ago. And I'm going to sit down at supper or at lunch with my, with, with my family. You know why? Because it's comfortable. Okay? I love you guys, but you know what? Not, not, very few of you have ever seen me like that. Okay? But that is when I am most comfortable. Okay? That is when I get to kick back and enjoy it and rest and relax because it's comfortable and it's safe. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to my father's home to get it ready for you to come home. Can I remind you of something? But particularly, I want, to, I want to talk just for a second. Those of you who lost loved ones, I know that part of the mindset is I miss them and I would love to have them back. But can I remind you of something? They're home. You're not. We're strangers here. We're pilgrims here. We're just tenting here. There's coming a time that we will go home with them. That is permanent. That is eternal. That is the hope of the resurrection that we have as believers. The old song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I think a lot of us, we get so comfortable here, we think this is the best it's going to get. Here's a, here's a phenomenal concept for you. You take your worst day you've ever had on, your, on this planet, ever, for all of eternity, that is the worst it will ever be. You've experienced the worst. If you do not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the way, you give me your best day on this planet. That's the best it'll ever get. It's all downhill when you take your last breath. For a believer, it's home. It's home. It's a place of fellowship and reunion. It's a place of safety and comfort. It's a place of rest. It's a place of encouragement. It's a place of, like this afternoon, we haven't been together for a couple weeks now. It'll be a time when we all catch up again. It'll be a great, fun time, as long as everybody has a good mood. Um, 
awesome thing about heaven, no bad moods. Um, but I mean, you know, no grumpy people. Uh, but honestly, I mean, it's one of those things. Yeah, don't be poking each other. But the reality of it is, folks, when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life at the tomb of Lazarus, it was about, an, it was about a different kind of a future. And when he looks at his disciples here and says, I'm going away, but I'm going to get your home ready, and I'm coming back, and you're going to meet me up there. I am the way. You've got to go through me. I am truth. Don't build your life on anything else. And I'm life. I'll show you how to live life here. I will help you live life here. I will help you get through all the stuff here. And then when you leave here, you're coming home. You're coming home. And then there will be a world that in your wildest imagination you cannot comprehend. Um, read the book of Revelation and look at some of the things. John, John just gives a... And, and when John... When, 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 when John gets... It's, it's almost like God just like pulls back the curtain just a little bit and says, okay, John, I'm going to show you this. Okay, that's it. That's enough. And John can't even put it into words. He, he, you know, it, it's so overwhelming. And I just want to challenge you this morning. There's some of you, your dreams haven't played out like you thought. It's going to be okay. Some of you are struggling because you're trying to find some other way to God. I don't want to be simplistic here, but there's one way. And it's through Jesus Christ. Acknowledge you're a sinner. You need a Savior. Ask Him to come into your heart. Forgive your sin. Be your Savior. You go, it's that simple. It's that simple. It's that simple. They offer to anyone. Truth. You can live your life figuring it out yourself, or you can find something outside of yourself. Life. I have a reason and a purpose for every day in front of me. And I love this world. I love the things that God has provided for me. I love the people that God has allowed me to interact with in my world. I love my family, but you know what? This ain't home. And this, there is so much more than what this world ever has to offer. So while I enjoy this world, I realize I'm really designed and geared for the world to come. So I end with this this morning. The disciples had a plan, but it wasn't the same plan as God. Jesus had to leave, but he wanted them to understand that they'd meet again. They would have to follow Jesus as the only way, the only truth, the only life. Believing in the person of Jesus guaranteed them a way to live here and in the world to come. I trust you have that same assurance. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, over and throughout history, we have complicated a very simple message. Lord, Satan has come in and blinded the minds and the eyes of people. He's tried to make it so confusing for people when, Lord, you just made it very, very simple. You are the only way. And may each of us be assured of our faith and trust in you and you alone in the relationship that we have with you. 
Lord, as we struggle with how to live and decisions to make, may we turn to the way you lived here to set the example for how we ought to do it. And Lord, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in you, thanks for giving us the strength and the encouragement and the help to live here. But Lord, we long for and look forward to the life to come. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.